do they think that's a good idea to blare the same song over and over again? Over and over again. Over and over again. Smashing Security, Episode 283, Disney's Social Dumpster Fire, and on phones, and TikTok tragedies, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 283. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And this week on the show, Carol, who do we have lined up? We have the wonderful Anna Braiding. Welcome, Anna. Oh, hello. Aww. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making the time out of your busy schedule, actually. I am very busy, but, you know, always make time for you too. Do you have a busy schedule, really, Anna? What, I mean, you know, I, what sort of I things? Mean, I mean, ha- I have to clean the house. Uh, I mean, I basically don't do anything, Graham. <laughs> I think you're fine. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot. She does do a lot. Um, how about we get this show on the road and thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Sneak, and Soul Cyber. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be talking about a super hacker uh, living in a very small world. Okay. Ooh. Anna, what about you? I'm going to be talking about the Anom phone. And I am going to see how we can hold social media giants accountable. Plus, a great featured interview with Scott McCready. He's the CEO of Soul Cyber, and he talks quite frankly about cyber problems specific to small and medium-sized organizations. Very interesting stuff. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I'm going to start, as I quite often like to start one of my sections with a little bit of a song oh. or some poetry. So okay, hold on, I'll just get the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm wouldn't ready. actually change anything. That would just get mute me, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, just mute I you, exactly. Mute. Stop you Don't from it. joining in. <laughs> it's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. There's so much that we share that it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. Was that the Shatner version? (laughs) I couldn't remember the tune at first. It's a song that will strike fear into the hearts of many. I've often woken up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, having a Vietnam-style flashback to the time I found myself at Euro Disney, tormented by that tune. (laughs) I was there. I was there there. with you. You went to Euro Disney together. We did. Well, we went there for work, didn't we? Yes. We, went there for work. we went to give a talk. I see. Right. We had cool. to give a talk in the amphitheater, you know, yes. where they, it was really quite scary because kids were all the way up, way above us, all around us. There were like 1,500 of them. You gave a talk to kids? <laughs> yes. It was a steep oh. incline, yes. It was like a Nuremberg-style rally that we were the, the guest stars <laughs> at. And we had a bad experience. Do you remember the bad experience I had? Crawl at Disneyland. What, that I talked you into coming on to a really cool roller coaster? Yeah, so you said there's this <laughs> thing called Space Mountain, and I didn't know what Space Mountain was. I thought, oh, we're going to sit in a little train or something, and we go chug, 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 and it'll be just a gentle funicular, is what I imagined. I don't know what Space Mountain is. I've never oh, been to Disneyland. Well, we... Tell me, Graham. It's hell. It's hell. <laughs> it starts off. It starts off pleasant enough. Like a funicular, you're in a little train going up a nice. slope. And I and I think, well, this is fine. This is very nice. We're going <laughs> up a mountain. But then 
It careers inside the mountain in the dark, roller coastering round upside down at high speed, and you don't know which direction to vomit in. It is the most unpleasant experience ever. But memorable. Well, <laughs> you're welcome for that memory that I gave you. Still vivid. <laughs> I had to have a sit down with a fizzy drink in order to feel better afterwards, as I recall. And that's not like you, is it? No, not no, exactly. It was extreme circumstances. So other people have had negative experiences at Disneyland. It's not just me. There, for instance, one chap who has is uh, someone who's possibly the greatest hacker turned biological weapons engineer that the world has ever seen. Mm, okay, carry on. David Doe, or maybe it's David Do, if that is his real name. He is, of course, as we all know, the person who created COVID-19. I know he created COVID-19 because he posted a message on Instagram announcing uh, yeah. that he was responsible for it. Yes, you remember this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I was obviously doing well, something important at the time. He's also <laughs> posted on Instagram that he's now working on a follow-up virus, uh, <laughs> like that difficult second album, that he has called COVID-20. Now, despite being... 2022? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> despite being a, co- a biological weapons expert... He hasn't twigged that COVID-19 is called COVID-19 because it came out in 2019, rather than it being the 19th version. So Maybe it is the 19th. Did he invent the other 18 before that? And they just flopped. He, d- he just put yeah. them into beta, but didn't fully yeah. release them. Maybe. Who, who knows? <laughs> but um, it's a bit like Windows 95. It wasn't the 95th version of Windows. Although Windows 3, you know, that didn't come out in 3 AD. So it's it's confusing sometimes, version numbering, isn't it? Companies can be inconsistent. Yeah. Anyway, David Doe, he went or do, he went to Disneyland, he right. says. And he claims that some of the staff were rude to him. Maybe they mocked him for his version number for his virus. I don't know. And he doesn't go into specifics as to how they were rude to him, but he got very upset. And that is why he plans to release a brand new virus of the coronavirus pandemic. This is what he posted what? onto Instagram. And he makes these claims on both Facebook and Instagram. And normally I'd tell you to ignore everything you read on Facebook and Instagram, right? I'd tell you, look, it's probably not true because it's been posted on Facebook and Instagram. It's probably the reverse is true, whatever you're reading. That's what you would say. Yeah, that's what I would say. (laughs) You're part of the mainstream media. Well, should you believe anything in a podcast? Mm -hmm. (laughs) In this particular case, he posts those messages, including some rather racist and homophobic things. Not from his own Facebook and Instagram accounts, but instead the official social media account of Disneyland. What? So what, he hacked in? Yes. Oh. He hacked into the official social media accounts of Disneyland on Facebook and Instagram, posting about Coronavirus 20, which he's been working on and is about to release, and how he was insulted and various unpleasant things of a racist and homophobic nature. Now... It's very hard to know if David Doe or David Do was really the person who did this. He claims his name is David Doe and David Do, or David Do. Probably not both, not Do Do. So what you're saying is poor David Do Do has been working <laughs> on the next version of coronavirus and someone yes. has hacked in to the Disneyland <laughs> social media accounts and they're framing him. Pre-announcing it. Poor yeah, they also posted Poor a picture guy. of someone who claims to be David Doe or David Doe, right. but who, who knows who that is? I mean, it's not the normal behaviour of a hacker to post his photograph as well as his name. 
<laughs> when he does this. So we have to be a little bit suspicious as to whether he's really the one responsible for the defacement. It may be an innocent party who he's, he's naming here, but it does provide a potential clue worthy of investigation should law enforcement agencies be so inclined. I mean, they're probably busy, right? They're probably investigating who created coronavirus or yep. who hacked the Instagram account of Disneyland. You know, it may be the same team. Maybe the same team are working on it. I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe uh, David Dew is suffering from a bit of mental issues, perhaps. Well, which can be caused, of course, by going to the Disney Resort and hearing that do, 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 Yeah, and maybe he went on Space Mountain as well. Right. You know, my brain was fairly rattled by that. And I've never recovered. Yeah. So I'm here. Explains a lot. I had this at Legoland. Oh, I had, yes. um, yeah. so I don't know if you've seen the Lego movie, Graham, but the, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. everything is awesome. That song yeah. just over yeah. and over. And I, and I stayed there when it was sweltering heat. I stayed in the hotel and just for 48 hours, I just had that constantly. So I understand your point. Why do they think that's a good idea to blare the same song over and over again? Because my child loved it. Yeah. I hated it. They're yeah. making them addicts. <laughs> I've stayed in the Lego hotel as well, and it is oh. it's horrendous. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a lot of it's a lot of stimulation at all times. It's just if you're too much. over four foot tall, um, <laughs> then you're not going to enjoy it. No. <laughs> Or did it, did it like crawl in everywhere? Well, I don't know. It's just <laughs> yes, yes. It's just all a bit bright and noisy. Anyway, um, we digress, Greg. Yes, we digress. Yes, yes. Sorry. So um, this ha- this attacker, he claims to be a super attacker. I think that's probably about as accurate as his claim that he created COVID nineteen. Um, it's much more likely something that Disneyland was sloppy with their password. Maybe they got fished. Maybe they used the same password as somewhere else. Maybe they hadn't enabled multi-factor authentication. I thought we were going to play that game of uh, guess what the password for the Disneyland account was. <laughs> da, da, da. It's disappointing, isn't it? That they mm-hmm. haven't. It was probably something fairly goofy, though. I think we can make. Oh, oh probably goofy. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Stop taking see. the Mickey. Stop taking the Mickey. Oh, oh good one. Yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> Millions of people follow these accounts, and some of them weren't very happy. And they were saying, it's an outrageous, I've been grossly offended by these messages. And uh, Disney have now secured the accounts, and they are conducting an investigation with their security team. And you can imagine that Disney security team, they're going to be pretty shit hot, aren't they? Well, they probably aren't shit hot. You don't, can't use words like that on Disney, but um, they're, they're going to be pretty tough. They're going to go in and uh, try and get to the bottom of it. So oh, yeah. any, this can happen anywhere, even in the Magic Kingdom. Everyone needs to be on their guard for super hackers like David Doe or David Do. He doesn't and, sound like a super hacker. Well, he claims it, Crow. I <laughs> yeah. mean, why would we disbelieve him? Why would we disbelieve him? Maybe he just needs a hug and a sandwich or something. I wouldn't oh. always recommend hugging a hacker. I think. Oh yeah, especially in COVID times. Especially yeah, in COVID times. <laughs> Hugger hoodie hacker. Hashtag. (laughs) Anna, what have you got for us this week? So, Graham, Carol, imagine that you're a master criminal. Are you in character? Yeah. So you need a way to get in touch with your other master criminal friends. Maybe you need to set up your drug deal. Maybe you need to order a hit on someone. Carol, anyone, anyone you're thinking of? Yep, yep, I am, definitely. <laughs> you got a picture in your mind? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So how are you going to do that? You're not going to do it on your regular iPhone. 
maybe your Nokia 3210. That's not going to cut the mustard, is it? So you know what you need. A pigeon. <laughs> do they... Do- <laughs> Can they order hits? I mean, yeah. Car- carrier pigeons could carry yeah. the, the message yeah, over. Could send the message. Yeah, That's true. Okay, Just fine. Saying. So the end of my story. That's it. <laughs> Done. No. Crow, what have you got for us this week? If there are no pigeons. <laughs> okay, if all the pigeons are dead, I don't know what I would do. Imagine your pigeon, your carrier pigeons died. Okay. You need an anom phone. Except the anom phone, this is not a non, a nom, isn't mm-hmm. exactly what it seems. It looks very normal. So it mm. could be a Google Pixel. It can uh-huh. be unlocked with a pin, just like all our phones are. It has apps uh-huh. on it, like Tinder, Instagram, Netflix, except the apps don't work and tapping on them does nothing. So they're more like a sort of wallpaper covering over a secret door. So if right. you reset the phone and you type in a different pin, it opens up the secret door into a separate section of the phone with different apps, like a clock and a calculator. <laughs> And the calculator is another front and opening up that app takes you to another login screen. It's very, it's. On the calculator, do you have to to enter 5138008 and turn it upside down so it says boobies? Yes, 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 you do. 6006. (laughs) 6006. Yeah, which wouldn't work at all. Yeah. That's your yes. boobies, girl. That's not going to work. Isn't it poop? Normally. Isn't it poop? Mine's more like one, zero, zero. Oh, no, hold on. Ignore that. <laughs> Can we stop entertaining the listeners with ASCII art of your breasts? Please. It's not going to work. I'm sure there's an app where you can upload pictures and get it to turn into ASCII. I'll do that. Um, (laughs) Links in the show notes. On it, on it. (laughs) Back to the calculator. So I think you do have to type in something, but uh, to to get it to open up the special Mm. login screen, which logs you into the Anom messaging app. Very cool. Yeah. So the app, it uses XMPP to communicate, which is pretty standard for instant messaging, but then wraps those messages in a layer of encryption. And XMPP works by having each contact use a handle that looks like a sort of email address. But one of the contacts in the Anom phone, handily for the criminals, for you, Carol, for a customer support channel that you can use if you're having problems with your phone. But another contact is one called Bot, which works like a ghost contact and hides Mm. itself from the user's contact list. So they wouldn't even know it was there. Um, And Mm -hmm. Bot is sneaky. It does things like copy users' messages along with any location information it can gather. So in many cases, that was actually the precise GPS location of the device when it sent the message. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) I know, right? So it's a bit like when those people were Zoom bombing at the beginning of COVID, Mm -hmm. but just with fewer boobs and a bit more stealth. It just sort of hangs out and listens and then sends everything back to the FBI. And the end-to-end encryption doesn't need to be broken because bot is inside the walls sending the information back. So the FBI are running a norm or they've compromised the bot? They're running a norm. Right. So bot is what the FBI is using and other law enforcement to um, eavesdrop on the criminals, take their messages and take the GPS location as well. And so why do the bad guys get hold of these phones? So they, what, they, they, well, on, on the word on the street is they're the best? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess there are other crim- uh, other phones like that um, that we've seen organised criminals using before, but um, mm. I, I guess it's just one of many. Um, but last month, the FBI announced hundreds of arrests as a result of the Anon phone um, and said that they had intercepted 27 million messages from 11,800 devices. So it's like big time drug traffickers and they seize a load of stuff like weapons, cash, drugs. One of the drug deals apparently included smuggling cocaines in cans of tuna and hollowed out pineapples. So, <laughs> but other interesting things on the phone. So it allows for pin scrambling. So it rearranges the numbers. Um, so you, it's much harder for someone watching you to work out what you're typing in, which I think all phones should have. And there was a status bar at the top of the screen, which had a shortcut to wipe your phone. And you could also set a wipe code right. that you type in from the lock screen which wipes the phone. So when the police say, hey, what's your pin? You say the secret pin code and that wipes your phone. Hmm. You know, yeah, I I just did the maths on your numbers. For each phone, that's 2,500 messages or so on average. So uh, I'm surprised they can do anything else but sit there on their phones. uh, Well, they probably have a similar screen time to me, Carol. It would be quite fun to look at a criminal's phone, wouldn't it? Because uh, even if they're drug dealers, I, well, yes, because I suspect, <laughs> I suspect we all imagine that it's always like, have you got the hollowed out pineapples or whatever? You know, they're they're talking about the drugs deal or the. We smuggling. have their secret language, yeah. But but I, I'm sure there's also a fair amount of sharing cat gifts and just jokes and all the social media memes, which texting are probably their going wife, off. right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so I'm guessing Anom is going to tank now with this new story. So they've lost that phone. <laughs> well, the FBI will just rebrand it, I suppose, won't they? They'll just, they'll just yeah. come up with some other name. For all those people annoyed that the Anom phone was run by the FBI, here's the new FBI <laughs> phone or something. They'll, they'll just give it a different name. <laughs> they'll never guess. They'll run the same scam again. What a brilliant way it is to, uh, to snoop on criminals and what they're up to. Well, it means you don't have to break into the phone, doesn't it? Very crafty. Very crafty. Have you bought one of these, Anna? No, um, but because you know. you've always reminded me a bit of a gangster's mole. Because you know you live, <laughs> you live down in Reading and things, which is a bit dodgy. What and was my nickname? Jugsy Malone. Jugsy Malone. Links to the ASCII art in the show notes. <laughs> What have you got for us this week? Last week, the New York Times reported that parents, two sets of parents, had just filed a lawsuit in a Los Angeles court calling out TikTok for how it affected their young daughters. And the suit revolves around the blackout challenge videos. Do you know anything about those? I don't know about them. Oh, my goodness. I think I may have read something about this. Is this where kids are uh, trying to encourage each other to sort of do a michael hutchins yeah to asphyxiate themselves and of course some people actually hurt themselves as a consequence or die even is that right exactly exactly so it encourages people to intentionally hold their breath until they pass out due to lack of oxygen oh my god and uh now brace yourself these girls okay these girls were eight and nine okay and they both died god's sake Eight and nine. Like I was playing with my light bright toy and trying not to, you know. I loved that. 
the mind boggles what a light bright toy is, but yeah, okay. It was lights alive here, I think. Right. No, come on, Graham. Don't make it gross. I'm not, I don't know what a light bright toy is. You I'm had these little plastic kind of colored nibs that you would put in in perforated paper, and then you'd light it from the back. So it'd be kind of like on a dark black ground, you'd have these little lights. A bit like a Christmas tree, basically. Oh, it's, cool. Uh, yeah, fun. it was very cool. It was cool. Um, the light bulb was very hot, and you'd burn yourself on it. So, you know, 1970s toy. <laughs> <laughs> Fires all over the place. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, the suit claims that TikTok knew or should have known that its product was addictive and that it was directing children to harmful content. Okay. And the suit highlights this For You page on TikTok, saying that it showed a stream of videos selected by an algorithm developed by TikTok mm-hmm. that, that is based on a user's demographic, likes, and prior activity on the app. Yeah, it's like the feed, isn't it? The For You page, I think. Right. So how the heck does this get into an eight or nine-year-old girl's Mm. feed? So what's interesting is after one of the girl's death, the police looked at her device and told the Guardian that she did not commit suicide, according to the lawsuit. A police officer showed the videos of the blackout challenge and said the girl had been watching the videos on repeat. Oh, no. She did seem to be online a lot. The article talks about a 20-hour car ride where she was effectively online the entire time, hoovering up things like TikTok. So, okay. So, right now at this point, I would say to you, what does your brain say? Do you feel TikTok is responsible in some way or not responsible at all? I think TikTok is definitely responsible in some way. It's difficult. Um, I mean, they're obviously built to be addictive, aren't they? Mm. A 20 hour car ride on TikTok is difficult, yeah. isn't it? But then also kids are so annoying in the car. <laughs> kids are so annoying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, sorry, that's what I meant. <laughs> it's really hard. It's awful. Just put them on Space Mountain for 20 hours. That's what I'd recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Subject them to everything is awesome. Well, TikTok is kind of, I would say, ducking from blame. Let me see what you guys think. So according to the New York Times, this has been the response so far. So, quote, this disturbing challenge, which people seem to learn about from sources other than TikTok, long predates our platform and has never been a TikTok trend. And it linked to a federal report about deaths from a choking game from 1995 to 2007. Then they say, we remain vigilant in our commitment to user safety and would immediately remove related content if found. Our deepest sympathies go out to the families for their tragic loss. Uh, I feel like just because it happened all those years ago, it doesn't mean that you can sort of say, wash your hands of it. If it's right. Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys to rate the sincerity of their sympathies there. <laughs> Zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the age range for TikTok? Because Facebook and Instagram is 13, isn't it? I don't know what. That's interesting. I don't even know that answer. I would think I you know. have to be 13 plus. I was at a park the other day and a, and a dad was off to film his children that were very much younger than 13 to do TikTok, doing TikTok dancing. I think you have to be over 13 and under 23. I think there should be an upper <laughs> age limit for some of these apps because I see grown men. Uh, who are addicted to TikTok as well. I just think, for God's sake, you know, really. I can't get into it. Yeah, it seems to be 13 and above. So that's interesting. I didn't consider that before. That's an interesting point. But I mean, parents are worried, right? Parents are worried about their kids being online all the time. And in fact, 
there's a new social media bill that California is currently working on. And it's kind of interesting because of how it's going to approach social media giants. So the bill is aimed solely at social media companies that make more than a hundred million in the previous year. So the big guys. Yeah, big guys. And Bill is trying not just to protect those under 13, but all kids. So what they're, they're claiming under 18s. And their argument is basically this, or one of their arguments certainly is like social media platforms earn substantially all of their revenue through ads. And the more time users engage with the platform, the more ads the user sees Mm -hmm. and the more valuable, uh, they become to the advertiser, right? Mm -hmm. And ipso facto, addicted consumers are particularly profitable because of their consumption behavior. For these profit-driven reasons, social media platform companies intentionally invent, design, and deploy features that are intended to make it hard for users to stop using the platform. Which makes sense, right? Yeah, there was that research not that long ago that, about for how Facebook intentionally designed it to be addictive. I'm sure they all The do. Facebook files. Yeah. That's right. Let's segue to that a bit because the Facebook files basically said that Facebook was absolutely aware that it had a negative impact on teenage users of Instagram Mm. and harmful content had been known to be pushed through Facebook algorithms reaching young users. They were aware of that. And that included anorexia posts and self-harm photos. Mm. Yeah. So uh, California is trying to deal with this by saying that when a social media platform creates designs or implements or maintains features for users, including child users, right, that the company knows is addictive to children, they should be held liable for the harms that result. Yeah. And that's interesting because there's other bills out in the States that are going on. There's one in Minnesota that would prevent platforms from using recommendation algorithms when it's targeting children. And in the U.S. Senate, there's a sweeping bill called the Kids Online Safety Act, which would require social media companies to create tools that allow parents to monitor screen time or turn off features like autoplay. Mm. But I think that the U.S. Senate bill seems to make it the parents' problem. Mm. I think parents play their part, but so do the social media companies as well. There's some social media sites, some video playing sites, YouTube, for instance. There's a YouTube Kids, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is supposed to be a more pleasant, friendly place for kids to hang out. I'm sure that occasionally some bad stuff might sneak through there. But do you know if there's ads? There? No, there isn't ads. Are there not? Right. No, but there was a video that we wrote about the other day. I think it was like a horror show, but it was called something like For Kids or something, and YouTube mm-hmm. just passed it through. And, and then they couldn't yeah. reclassify it. It was really hard <sighs> to reclassify it as not for kids, even though the developer was like, hey, guys, this is not for kids. Right. So, um, yeah, they're, it's all difficult. It is. Like there's this Child Advocacy Institute at the University of San Diego, and they say that parental controls can't be the answer to what effectively seems to be an addiction, right? They compare mm. it to tobacco companies giving parents nicotine patches to have them halt, you know, their kids smoking, you know? Yeah. There's a bit of me which thinks, wouldn't it be great if these social media companies, rather than funding themselves through advertising, actually got you to buy a certain amount of access to their site? So you mm-hmm. might say, I would like to pay you $10 per month in order to access, I don't know, 20,000 videos or however many Whoa. it is that you want. Well, however many it is, right? Right. To see you buy that requirement. And, th- and then once you hit that, in order to see more than however many videos, because TikTok, you can just, I think you can just swipe through them really quickly. If you want to mm. see more, then you're going to have to pay more. And then you can control the addiction of it. And I think that's a great idea. 
until you begin to think, well, hang on, what about people who don't have very much money mm. and might feel like they're being excluded from social media and aren't able to get information because they cannot afford to pay. I mean, we pay for our cell phone data, don't we? Mm -hmm. And we don't have a problem with that. It's not like our cell phones are interrupted when we're on mid-call with an advert or here are other similar phone calls you might have enjoyed. Maybe you'd like to listen to other people's calls. There, there isn't anything like that. So you pay for however much data that you require. Yeah, and you pay for Netflix, you pay for Disney+, Plus, you right. pay for all that. Yeah. So it's an understandable subscription model. So m m maybe something like that would be better, but how you'd enforce it and how you'd make sure there isn't some digital divide, meaning that people who don't have the funds can't participate. Mm. That's, that's where it really mm. gets problematical. But ads generally, and what that causes these tech companies to do in terms of targeting is really, really ugly. Mm. You know, in the 2020 leaked document from Facebook, okay, inside the document, there's a question, why do we care about tweens? And the answer to that question is they are a valuable but untapped audience, mm -hmm. uh. right? So like they're all over it because of money. So in short, until there's legislation that can catch up with these social media kingpins who seem happy to make a buck, even if it's from a tween, parents might have to do their best to control the content flow, right? Like, don't trust social media giants to do the right thing by you and, more importantly, your kids. Because yeah. they're not going to do it unless they're forced. Just like Graham, right? <laughs> Sorry, so I'm not going to do what unless I'm forced? Be nice to me. Oh, well. <laughs> Go on, Graham. Say something nice. Um. <laughs> Carole, I think you're fabulous. Thanks, man. Like all of you lot out there, we love security podcasts, and we want to bring one to your attention today that you may want to check out. The Secure Developer is a conversational and insightful podcast that bridges the gap between dev and sec. Hosted by Guy Pajani, one of the guys behind Sneak, The Secure Developer is a security podcast that developers will enjoy listening to and learning from. They've already released over 100 episodes, and I think many of you would like it too. So, what are you waiting for? Check out The Secure Developer podcast from Sneak at smashingsecurity.com slash the secure developer and thanks to sneak for supporting the show bitwarden is an open source cross-platform password manager trusted by millions of individuals teams and organizations worldwide for secure password storage and sharing not only does Bitwarden offer enterprise-grade security, conducting regular third-party security audits, and is compliant with Privacy Shield, HIPAA, GDPR, CCPA, SOC 2, and SOC 3 security standards. This is pretty slick stuff. You can get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. That's bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. Or you can try it for free across devices as an individual user. That's bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. And massive thank you to Bitwarden for sponsoring the show. Thanks this week to our sponsor, Soul Cyber, who believe that it shouldn't just be the Fortune 500 that benefit from top of the line 
cybersecurity. They make managed security affordable and accessible to all small to medium-sized organizations. Check out Soul Cyber's foundational coverage services. They include ransomware assessment and training, advanced email protection, endpoint detection and response, active directory abuse prevention and lateral movement detection, and 24 by 7 security operations center capability. As a Soul Cyber Foundational customer, you also get access to expedited cyber insurance coverage and discounts of up to 30% off your premiums. Mention Smashing Security and you'll get one month free for every 12 months you subscribe to Soul Cyber's foundational coverage services. Visit smashingsecurity.com slash soulcyber to learn more. That's smashingsecurity.com slash S-O-L. C-Y-B-E-R and thanks to Soul Cyber for sponsoring the show. And welcome back and you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like could be a funny story book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my pick of the week this week is not security related. My pick of the week this week is all about the trolley problem. We've spoken about the trolley problem before on uh-huh. past podcasts. Yep. If you remember the trolley or like that, the, the tram, as maybe we call it in the UK, um, you've got it coming down a line and it's about to run over someone and you've got a lever, which means that you can push the trolley or the tram onto another track and maybe there's you know, a grandmother on the other track or something. You've got a young person on one track, grandmother on the other. Are you going to pull the lever or not? And it gives you this interesting moral <laughs> dilemma as to whether you do things well. What, kill six people or kill one kind of thing? For instance, is mm-hmm. another kind of question you might get asked. Now, if you go to the link I've included in the show notes Ooh. to a site about absurd trolley problems, okay. it will give you a selection of trolley scenarios. And they start Ooh. off... They start, it's animated. So you see the trolley coming down the track and you're given the opportunity to pull the lever. So for instance, it may be the trolley's heading towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing one person instead. What do you do? And it collects statistics. Yes. They're little mouths. They're screaming. (laughs) Their mouths are moving. It's so sad. So you're given these scenarios and then you see an animation of the trolley crossing over. And at first it's fairly easy and you'll probably go with the flow, you know, I'll kill one person rather than five, you know, that sort of thing. But then the questions get, as you go through, it it then says, for instance, uh, a trolley's heading towards five people, but on the other track is the original copy of the Mona Lisa, which will be destroyed. What do you do, Crow? Crow, you're an artist. Imagine it's one of your works. (laughs) Yeah, one of my works. Would you have five yeah. people killed or? Can I choose who those people are? Or is it random? <laughs> <laughs> I'm at one right now, which is like your life savings or five people. Right. Yeah. I'm, what would you do, I'm, bro? I'm uh, keeping my life savings, I think. Is that outrageous? <laughs> would you? I don't know. There's another one which says a trolley's heading towards one guy. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, but then your Amazon package will be late. What do you do? <laughs> well, that one's obvious. I've got one here where I'm on the track versus five other people on the other track. Oh. 
I'm I'm definitely oh. doing nothing. I'm not dying. No. Okay. No. No, I'm working. Right. So I was playing with this the other day because I saw it on uh, Twitter, and um, I was surprised about how much how much I did nothing. Mm. Uh, even it, yeah, just couldn't be asked. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. Um, <laughs> like when it was five versus four, I I just thought, well, you know, I don't. If I do nothing, I don't have to take any sort of responsibility for it because I could just. <laughs> Yeah. I don't way. want my fingerprints on the lever. Yeah. Exactly. Ooh, five lobsters or a cat? Five lo- Obvious. Oh, yeah. yeah, what do you rate? Yeah. Obvious. <laughs> Bye, lobsters. See ya. <laughs> Dinner. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Give some to the cat. Good one, Graham. I like so, it. So, Absurd Trolley Problems, link in the show notes, is my pick of the week. <laughs> Anna, what's your pick of the week? Okay, so also one in the show notes for you guys to click on. Um, this is weirdorconfusing.com. So I tr- always try and find something interesting for Pick of the Week, especially since you criticised my TV programme choice once, Graham. Um, <laughs> I haven't got over that yet. Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> I think you said it was a rubbish choice. Um, so, <laughs> so yes, sir, I thought I'd have a Google, see what I could find. And I found weirdorconfusing.com. So... You can describe it. So I've dropped it in the chat. Yeah. Do you want me to describe what I have or? Yeah, you describe it. So I've got a prism bed glasses to allow you to read or watch TV lying down. And the glasses. So first of all, when, so cr- crawling, when you, you go really to the website. You have described what it is. Yes. You have to describe what weirdorconfusing.com is. No, no you, before you go you back. Click the link, you uh-huh. Describe what happens first. Why don't you go ahead? You go ahead, Greg. So what's happened? Let me let me jump in. So okay, so if I click on the link weirdorconfusing.com, I'm taken to a web page where it says sell me something weird or confusing. And there's a little button and it's yep. going to take me to a random place to buy something weird or confusing. Okay, so I'm clicking on it now and I've been taken on eBay. Ooh. I've been taken on eBay to a book which is called Crafting with cat hair. Cool yes. things you can make with the hair of cats. Perfect which... idea for Carole. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay, I've just got a one and I think this is just too marvellous. Very good, mm. Anna. So this is Nose Aerobics basketball glasses <laughs> game. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's <laughs> See, present ideas galore. Yeah, you are going to be spoiled on your birthday, which is coming up. <laughs> So I too like the cat hair one because you can you you basically take the cat's stray hair and you can you can it's a book that shows you how to uh, put it into soft and adorable handicrafts and at the, it's summer at the moment cats are losing hair all over the place. Also, <laughs> one for you, Graham, maybe subtle yeah. butt. What's subtle butt? So it's a fart pad you put into your pants and it neutralizes your bum odor. <laughs> Why would you? It says simply stick one in the right place, and you're ready for a chili cook-off or an all-you-can-eat Indian buffet. Why would you say that on the? Why would you say that on the podcast? <laughs> Sorry, Graham, why but would... it's it, you know we spent a lot of time working together. I just thought this might be handy for you. We what? Don't say anymore. It's activated carbon, Graham. It could be very useful. You're this you're getting really on in years. Friendly. This is really. When's, uh, when's your birthday, oh. Graham? This is just a bit, it's a bit arsy. What, what year were you born? Oh, oh. We've got 40,000 odd people listening to this podcast and you've just told them that I go around farting. You just don't like being the butt of a joke. Hey. <laughs> Carol, what's your pick of the week? Okay, I have a cute YouTube channel for you this week. 
as my pick of the week. Well, actually, it's a subsection of a YouTube channel. Um, this is Jay Foreman. Okay, he's got this YouTube channel. And the playlist is called Unfinished London. And he does these Ooh. short vignettes looking at London's kind of design eccentricities. Right. So videos focus on like the unfinished northern tube line. Why hasn't it be finished? What happened? Or unfinished motorways that just stop. Or why does London have so many airports? He puts tons of work in these, right? They're, they're scripted, punchy, funny, kind of a bit silly as well, but also informative. I think it's something you could watch with your kid, Graham. Actually, I think he'd find it really good and he'd learn some stuff. Mm-hmm. And he does loads of like on-site videoing and he also sources loads of historical visual content underpin his, you know, essay. Uh, for example, there's one um, like on why London has so many airports. It has six airports, has more than any other city in the world, apparently. Yes, but some of London's airports aren't actually in London. Like there's an Oxford London airport, there's <laughs> Luton London airport, and you think... Gatwick's quite far. Yeah, and the, you know, yeah. the, it's, isn't it basically to trick Americans into thinking they're flying into London? In fact, no, 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 you've got another three hours <laughs> to, to get into London. <laughs> But he refers back to like the 1930s where he calls uh, what was going on was plain mania. And he says there was even a suggestion of an aerodrome uh, in the middle of London on top of King's Cross Station, right? It would have six runways facing in all directions with planes taxiing around the edge like hamsters (laughs) on a wheel. And the idea behind it was everyone could commute to central London by plane. So all kinds of funny, wacky things to learn. Wow. And they're... 13 of these videos currently on this uh, playlist. And it could be a very entertaining night in for someone who wants to learn a bit more about London's planning and failures. I like this. This sounds very interesting. I am going to watch some of these videos. I think you like it a lot. I think you like the guy too. So his name is Jay Foreman. Yeah, Jay Foreman. Uh, it's his YouTube channel and the playlist is called Unfinished London. And that is my pick of the week. Yeah. Well, um, Carol, you've been busy this week. You've been speaking to Scott McCready of Soul Cyber. I have. He talks about the massive problems with securing a network efficiently and effectively and the Soul Cyber approach to streamlining the whole process. It's pretty interesting. Check it out. Listeners, today we are speaking with Scott McGrady. He is the CEO of Soul Cyber, a managed security service. So, Scott, let's start with you. What can you tell us about you and how you became the CEO of Soul Cyber? Sure. Hey, Carol. Hi. Um, I've been in the managed security services space most of my career. I was an engineer, actually. Uh, coming out of university, so I was deploying networks uh, and security devices. And uh, I actually ended up spending a bunch of time overseas in London deploying security equipment way back in the early days. And what they realized was the security devices generated a lot of information and the traditional sort of network operation center didn't have anything to process that. And Mm -hmm. so um, the very first MSSP built uh, was built out of the US in the DC area. And having tried to get analytics going around these security devices, I got hired by them as a young guy. Uh, and uh, that started my managed security services career about 20 years ago. And uh, through that time, I built out businesses in Europe, uh, businesses in Asia. And then obviously, I, I ran it 
uh, one of the largest global MSSPs uh, for a period of time as well. So it's it's been in the uh, DNA for a while, I guess. Do you mind if I ask you to kind of spell out MSSP for some of our listeners who haven't worked in managed services and all that stuff? Sure. The, the traditional model around managed security services is the fact that organizations have an ability to get their IT operations handled. That could be either from a service provider, their telco or an MSP, a local provider that does break fix, maybe ships laptops, deploys uh, gold images. Uh, But there is usually a gap around the high end 24 by 7 security analytics. And so if you deploy even some basic security technologies, somebody has to gather the data that's being uh, created by these technologies. Right. And you want to look at it and analyze it and then hopefully be able to detect when a when a bad guy is doing something so you can find them and you can stop them. And that's a very traditional model. Um, there are some gaps in that model, which we'll talk about why Soul Cyber is here. But yeah, you go out and buy, the customer goes out and buys a bunch of security technology. Once they do all of that, they deploy it, then an MSSP will monitor it and they'll let the customer know when something bad's happening. What a perfect time to introduce Soul Cyber and explain what services you provide. So when when I created Soul Cyber, there was really a, we believe, a really big gap in the market. And the way I describe it was I just felt like security, especially for the small medium enterprises, was was stuck in the 1990s or the 2000s. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is imagine that you wanted on-demand video entertainment. Right. Well, the security model today is sort of like movies from 15, 20 years ago. You'd have to go out and buy 500 DVDs. You'd have to buy a storage network. You would have to buy a computer. You'd have to buy software. You'd have to buy TV. Mm-hmm. You'd have to buy cables. You'd have to string it all together. Then you have to take your DVDs and put them onto your hardware. And then you'd sort of have on-demand video. And then two years later, Blu-rays would come out. You'd have to literally upgrade everything because it's more storage, more space. That's right. That is literally what we do in security. We tell a company, weave your way through the 3,500 vendors out there. You can consider those your DVDs. Mm-hmm. Find the stuff that's interesting to you. Yeah. Build it all. Deploy it all. Yeah. And once you're done, wrap a managed security service around it. And we were like, that just doesn't work very well for mid-market companies. Sure, if you're Bank of America and you've got the tech stack and the people and the time, why not? Yeah. So our view was we just sort of need to bring a security outcome into the 2020s, right? And so we call it sort of like the Netflix of security or your favorite streaming service of security. In so much that what what you get from Soul Cyber is you get just like Netflix, you get everything. You get all the all the best top tier security products. You get it all deployed. You get it all monitored. Uh, you get it analyzed. If we detect something bad happening, we'll respond to it for you. And we package that all up in a subscription model. Uh, that's just a monthly fee. There's no install fee. There's no upfront fees. It's just a monthly fee for, for customers. And so that's really the goal here. In the same way that Netflix didn't build their, their content originally, they went out and got, you know, let's go out and get some Star Wars from action. Let's get some comedy, right? Yeah. Uh, in the same way, we use best of breed technology. So the, the things we use are literally Gartner Magic Quadrant technologies. But we just pulled all together into a seamless um, solution that gets you an outcome of amazing security. And, and that concept seems to really resonate with customers. 
Yeah, because that's really interesting because, and of course, a lot of larger enterprise really want the granularity and being able to configure things, you know, to just fit in within their very, very complex environment. But if we're talking about your target market, which is like the small to medium sized business, they don't even necessarily have a strong security, you know, knowledge within the firm, let alone, uh, you know, know where to look. So I really appreciate that point of yours of, you know, having to go out and hunt down the best thing when you're not an expert in the area. It's really frustrating, I imagine. It is. And the other thing we find is we also find a set of customers that actually do have decent security expertise. They just don't have the time. So if you just take one piece, which is let's just call it endpoint, there's dozens of endpoint providers. So a standard model for these uh, mid-sized organizations would be to do a proof of concept amongst at least three that they whittled down from usually 10. That process for most of these organizations is a six to 12 month process to actually get it, you know, go through, do your research, get POC contracts set up, get it deployed. You have to deploy them independently. So even if they have the security expertise, just the time and the effort is not usually something they, they want to spend. They've got a job of trying to be nimble and be fast to make sure their product that they're competing with on a very competitive market is is working right, and customers are buying it, and so this this spending tons of time trying to get your security working is very difficult. And Carol, one of the other things, this is also really applicable to the mid market when it comes to cyber insurance. And so, mm-hmm. cyber insurance is really a challenge for the mid market on two aspects. It's very uh, time consuming to get cyber insurance, and there's about a one in three response rate that's negative that they get denied, and then two. Prices are going up about 50% year on year. And so because of the fact that we pull everything into an outcome, the insurance companies love it. And so as far as I know, we're the first company uh, in the US anyway, that has a partnership with the insurance industry, where if you're using what we call our foundational coverage, uh, you get uh, pre-approved for your cyber insurance Mm -hmm. coverage, and you get a 30% discount on the cyber insurance price. Wow. And the reason is, is they go, well, we know the stuff that we're doing is really top tier level security and it's all in one package. So instead of having to recommend maybe eight different pieces of technology, you can just use Soul Cyber's foundational coverage and that's good. And we'll we'll recognize that security effort that you're putting in as a customer and we'll reward you with making this process easy and making your renewals or your new policy much, much more cost effective. That's a really interesting angle that I haven't um, heard brought up before, the idea of cybersecurity insurance. Are, are most SMBs taking it seriously and taking out coverage? We are seeing a significant uptake in the mid-market yeah. of the SMEs wanting cyber and, and needing cyber. As you know, uh, they're, they're, they recognize that the threats against them have changed and that it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not uncommon anymore. Uh, ransomware hits about yeah. one in three customers in the mid-market. So you're, every year you're playing dice with the fact that you know, this may be your year, right? So, so the assumption is if you're not doing the right things around security, you're going to get a breach within the next you know, 24 to 36 months. And I wonder if somebody was listening to you now and thinking, I like the sound of this. I want to learn more. What steps would they go through if they got in touch with you? Or what would typically happen? Sure. So one of the things we really try to do is is we call it sort of modern. And modern to us is as transparent, as authentic as you can get. So our website has a 
ridiculous amount of information about what we do, including our pricing. Our pricing is just Mm -hmm. right out front. It's in this, I love that in the same way you wouldn't go to Netflix and say, well, I have to call a salesperson to figure out how much they're going to charge my family. That's that's silly in today's world. So our pricing is literally listed on our website. Uh, There's, there's contact uh, sales listed on the website. Uh, You don't even have to work through sales teams. You can actually do things online. So we try to make it really simple. So one of the things that is not common in the managed security services space is what I call the business side. So if you sign, you have to sign a contract and then mm. that contract gets put in email or in your contract storage. And of course, mid-market companies, they're like, I, you know, tracking contracts often is in email and places like that. And so yeah. what we do is we just take all the information, stick it on the portal. So you say, well, you, this is how much you're spending per month. And these are the services you purchased. And if you want more or less, you just click a button. And so the easiest thing is to pop onto the website. You can check the pricing. Uh, we describe what we do out there and we're happy to have somebody contact you and, and walk you through the basics. A lot of times it's a daunting thing to try to get your security program in place. And mm-hmm. we, uh, we do a lot of consulting just to make customers understand what's happening out in the world. And if there's any, anyone listening that's just like, I need to get this problem taken care of. Yeah, give us a call. Contact us. We're incredibly non-pushy uh, from a from a sales standpoint. We try to be really helpful. Again, a lot of our information is on the website, and we can have this problem sort of done and dusted for you in you know fourteen to thirty days. And so we get a lot of customers that are like, "Wow, Scott, I've had this on my plate for six months, nine months. I know I needed to take care of it. It was just I was like building up like these frameworks and walking through my plan. And then when they found us, they just you know, we just did work together and they were up and running in, in two weeks to four weeks. And they're like, and it's done. Now they have a good security program in place. I mean, we're talking security awareness, phishing simulation, like really a, a proper, fantastic ability to get you to some amazing security. And then on top of that, if you're struggling with cyber insurance, uh, if it's getting really mm-hmm. expensive or if you're getting, you know, your application rejected, uh, we can really help with that as well. Now, listeners, you heard Scott, if you are a small to medium-sized business and you think you need a little tune-up or you're excited by anything you heard here, please go to smashingsecurity.com slash soulcyber. That's smashingsecurity.com slash soulcyber, S-O-L-C-Y-B-E-R. And Scott McGrady, CEO of SoulCyber, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. And thanks as always to the listeners who tune in. Brilliant. that just about wraps up the show for this week Anna I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online find out what you're up to what's the best way for folks to do that you can get me on Twitter at Anna Breeding Shugsy Malone I'm going to reserve that now and you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity no G Twitter and Mouse to have a G and we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit and don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And mega thank yous to this episode's sponsors, Bitwarden, Sneak, and SoulCyber. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists, and the entire back catalog of more than 282 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Right. Marvelous. Okay, this site is so weird, Anna. What? I know. 
I've also got another one, but I'll put it in the show notes because I thought it wasn't interesting. It wasn't as funny. Um, so you can... Uh, you might like this scroll. I don't know if it's old, quick draw with Google, but you draw and then and and then it guesses. But I think it's quite I old. think we've had that on the oh, show yes, before. We've done this. Oh, yeah, have you? Done okay, this. good. Yeah. That's good. It's yes. good. I have I have now a Chia pet Bob. A Bob yep. Ross. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Black monster beast, werewolf, killer ape, adult hand gloves. Oh. Sexy. <laughs> 